Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Hello listeners and welcome to another episode of our podcast. When training the body, the power of the mind is what drives you to continue, make you stronger and gives you the push you need to take your physical fitness to the next level. One person who knows this all too well is trainer, coach and Chinese medicine practitioner, Chris Miller. After just his 20th birthday, Chris endured his third knee reconstruction, leaving him without any ligaments in his right knee. He was told he would never walk properly or run again. At 29, Chris had a tumour cut out of his sinuses, leaving him with severe neurological issues and again was told it would be permanent. For six months, he could not train, read, watch TV or even carry his baby daughter around. Throughout both instances, Chris followed traditional rehab methods before beginning to experiment with unorthodox methods of reclaiming mental and physical wellness. Instead of relying on physical therapies, Chris chose to improve his body's physical and mental state via movement and mobility drills while challenging the traditional paradigms of thinking. After a period of continued experimentation, Chris developed Primal Thenics, a style of training created to combine clinical musculoskeletal rehab skills and coaching experience. It uniquely involves the combination of mobility drills, neurological techniques, muscle activation, crawling and high-intensity calisthenics. Since its creation, Chris has worked with a number of high-profile athletes from teams including the Wallabies, the NRL and Olympic Games athletes. Tune into this week, uh, this week's episode to find out more about Chris's journey through injury and the un- unorthodox training methods he has used for everyday people, kids and, prof- and professional athletes to perform at the peak of their fitness. Taking place on Friday the 10th of July, Mental Health Connect is our first ever online expo designed for mental health professionals. This is a space to connect, collaborate and discover the latest tools, treatments and services available to themselves and their clients. Find out more at www.anzmh.asn.au or contact us on 07 Interested in advancing your personal and professional development in mental health? Check out our latest webinar series in which we explore a range of topics designed to improve mental health, well-being and client care. Also, find out more at www.anzmh.asn.au or give us a call. Thanks very much. Hi, Chris. Thanks very much for joining uh, me on the show today, mate. It's uh, a pleasure to have you, um, someone who I've known for a long time, but uh, definitely someone who is doing some really inspirational stuff at the moment. Um, Mate, it's good to have you on board. Thanks, Sam. It's it's great to catch up with you again. I mean, as you said, we've known each other since we were probably 
uh, eight or nine down at uh, the rugby club, and uh, it's good to, it's, it's amazing to see what you've done with yourself over the years. So thanks for having me on board. No, no, it's an absolute pleasure, mate. It's uh, I, let's if we go back to say, I mean, because I know you're brought up in Brizzy, um, you've got a. A wonderful family, great upbringing. Uh, went to a great school up there in, in Brisbane. Um, tell us if, if you wouldn't mind, from the back end, for when you were left school, what 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 have you been up to, and and um, how's your personal journey been? Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's been a, a interesting journey, probably the the brightest way of saying this. Um, look, I'm the youngest of six kids. Uh, and I had, you know, a couple of them go to Olympics and win gold medals and Commonwealth Games gold medals and a very successful, um, you know, sporting family. So for me, to, you know, growing up as a young man, the definition of success was sporting success. Uh, so when I was 16, um, I had my first knee reconstruction. That was in year 12. Um, and that very quickly, um, just destroyed me as in my sense of self-worth, uh, et cetera. I came back um, about, I think it was, you know, nine months later at 17 and was playing uh, a bit of men's first grade rugby and trials in the under 19, the Australian under 19 team and that sort of stuff. Um, and just, um, you know, played for a little bit more uh, for about two years there, um, but um, ended up having uh, another two new reconstructions. So it was my third one just after my 20th birthday. Um, now, during that period, I had started to study international finance and business and very quickly realised that if I was going to do that long term, it would be uh, not great for me. Uh, so something that really changed um, how I felt physically and mentally uh, was uh, acupuncture. Um, so I quit the finance and went and started studying acupuncture, um, I think largely in a way to work out how to fix myself because at this stage I was... 18, um, and, you know, emotionally, mentally, uh, pretty broken. Um, yeah. so studying the acupuncture and the Chinese medicine was a great way, um, you know, during that really, you know, bad period for me to, to keep on track. Um, and that was my first degree was a Bachelor of Health Science, uh, major in Chinese medicine. Um, and then I was then given a scholarship to go live in China and study over there. And I did that. Um, came back wow. and worked as an acupuncturist in the Matsura. And nutrition for and a person trainer uh, since then, since um, you know all, all the way back then in 2004, I did have a, an early midlife crisis in my mid to late 20s, and I went back and I studied um, history, and then I did secondary education, and then I did a uh, master's degree in uh, medieval history. Um, it was wow. during that period um, that I was about to 29, and I had a tumor in my sinus cavity. Um, so I essentially um, went functionally blind. I, I couldn't read, I couldn't write, I couldn't drive. I had really bad vestibular system, um, which just caused, you know, just a really um, severe, um, just, you know, a reaction with my body. I just couldn't do anything. Um, and, uh, wow. and it was around that time that I had my first child as well. So what I do now with the paramedics was essentially the, the journey after three new reconstructions at 20 and the doctor said, look, mate, you're never going to be able to run again. And I just sort of thought, well, one day I'm going to be dead and I want to be able to run. And I just created and worked my way through as many different learning um, programs as I could and physical um, development programs um, to work out how to get back on track. And it took me about six years. Uh, but then, you know, during that period, I was studying as well. Then I got unwell again. And it was during that second phase of, you know, 
ill health for their tumour in my head, uh, in my sinuses, um, that um, I then refined that whole system because I was just so neurologically, you know, malfunctioning. Um, and mm. it was that final piece of the puzzle for me where, um, you know, how you move changes how your brain functions and how your brain functions really change, changes how your, your body moves and functions. So pulling that together um, in my early sort of 30, so, you know, eight or nine years ago, um, was essentially how that palmothenic system, which is what I do now, really came to the fore. So it was out of a lot of self-misery that um, I was yeah. able to, you know, do what I do now. It's really, uh, I mean, if we go back, so, so you had three knee reconstructions. Were they on the same knee? They were on the same knee. So, you know, my wow. first one was an ACL uh, reconstruction. The second one was a um, a lateral collateral reconstruction. Then the third, I was in a cast for that for about seven months. So I got out of that for a month. Oof. And then the staples they'd put in fell out. So then I went back in uh, and essentially they just cut everything out and sewed um, a few bits and pieces on to different places. So by that stage, there was no MCL, ACL, LCL, PCL, uh, here, so I was missing a couple of hamstrings, so I was missing oh, all wow. the meniscus and all the cartilage off the knees um, and a couple of big uh, holes where some screws had been. So it was essentially a non-functional knee. Makes, um, so that's at the age of 20, you had the three done. Exactly right. And so, you know, growing up when, you know, the, the definition of success was to play for Australia and, you know, nothing short of that, yeah. at 20 being told that I was never going to run again, you know, really did um, just exacerbate probably a long-standing um, underlying issue of just anxiety and, and that sort of stuff and yeah. really um, it just changed and, um, you know, my personality and, and really <laughs> set me on a path to a lot of ill health over the years, I think. Yeah, so, uh, and, I mean, injuries, even in professional professional sports, I mean, it can it can have a serious uh, mental mental health implication can't it because I mean you're you're not able to do what you want to do or to to be able to do the things you want to do and it makes you feel isolated at times and uh, I mean it can really get you down it, it certainly can uh, and having coached a lot of professional athletes and seeing them uh, go through that um, and, and having gone through it myself um, I can really vouch for how profound it can um, yeah. affect someone how, how strong the effects can be um, and I think that's why I'm quite passionate um, about exercise and its effects not only on the body and getting you healthy, but um, helping you uh, through ill health. Um, yeah. I really don't like, um, you know, the advice often whereby, you know, I rest up and don't do anything. I think that um, is really difficult for a lot of people, um, you know, just really that lack of movement, lack of anything. Um, really does start to slow the whole body down and I think as a result can really affect you mentally. Um, and, and I think that, you know, that therein lies a really important, um, you know, relationship for mental health is what you're yeah. doing physically. Um, it's really going to affect how you go mentally. And there's a quote that I really like, which is, um, where the body goes, the mind will follow, and where mm. the mind goes, the body will follow. Um, and I think that's a really important concept for a lot of people. Where, where you are mentally, you've really got to try and make some physical changes to change how you are, you know, presenting and living um, from the mental health side of you. 
And so, man, what sort of stimulated you to go from, you know what, this this traditional way of rehab uh, is frustrating, it doesn't seem to be working, um, It's, uh, I mean, was there a point in which you said, well, you know what, I've just got to take this into my own hand, is, and is that the catalyst that got you into um, what you're doing now? Like, is that what kick-started you? There had to be a better way. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I had a couple of absolutely brilliant physios who were Wallaby physios, reasonable Broncos physios. They were the best of the best. Yeah. And I did, even though I would sort of say, Mage, we've never had anybody rehab as thoroughly and as well as you. And after three and a half, four years, so I was about 24 by that stage, I was just broken. Like, I could hardly walk. Um, I was just mm. in so much chronic pain in my knee as a result of my back. I couldn't run. I couldn't do anything. And I was just, you know, almost every night at the point of tears, just going, what else do yeah. I do? Um, and I just sort of kept on trying. I, I reckon I read just about every sports science book I could find and rehabilitation book I could find. And I implemented everything and not just, you know, for a day, but I mean for weeks and months on end. Um, and I just kind of got nowhere. So it really literally got nowhere. Um, and then I, I came across a book uh, called The Brain That Changes Itself by Norman Doidge. Um And it was all about neuroplasticity and how, you know, the brain can change as a result of good or, or negative stimulus. And I just kind of realized then I had this almost light bulb moment. Wow. Nobody had ever sat me down and said, oh, hey, mate, you know how you had that injury? Well, how your knee uh, is now missing all those ligaments and tendons and you had all that surgery and scar tissue. Well, in your brain, that's changed how it's mapped. Um, and as a result, it's just not really there in the brain. It's just not functioning. Um, and that then just, you know, just sat there the whole night. Just I read the book in probably two days. And I just sort of thought, well, I've got to change how my brain perceives this need. Um, and then that just really, you know, within a few days, I just started to do things massively different. I, I sort of stopped doing any weight-based exercises. I stopped doing my three sets of eight um, and my isolation exercises and all that sort of stuff. And I, at this stage, was living in my car. So, you know, it was blisteringly hot outside and yeah. I'd take my shoes off and I'd go out and walk on the sharpest hottest concrete I could find uh, with all the little pebbles in it just to change how that would stimulate my feet muscles and, and all the reflexes as a result um, and then I would train with my sort of eyes closed with one eye open and it just started to do really wicked different things um, and really use that to kind of go okay well that made a slight difference or nothing how, how and why is that the case okay I need to learn more about how the eyes really stimulate sensory input to the brain and then that would lead me on to study about the eyes and then that would then itself open up a wormhole into the vestibular system and then how that affects your you know your balance centers and how balance is then going to affect your ability to recruit your posterior chain which then you know so on and so on so wow. it was just almost an avalanche once you or once i opened up one little doorway yeah. um it just then it's a doorway that is still open and i'm still falling through uh because you can never really i feel you know mastered or learn enough um all you can really do is just continually refine and, and that's kind of what i want to what i tell myself i'm never going to learn everything i'm just yeah. going to refine what i do uh, you know every every stage of the journey so was it is it the interpret with the with the power of the brain did you learn that it was the interpretation of the injury 
that you needed to change and the meaning of it or was it you actually using your brain to help uh to help um to help make the injury go away and and to regrow ligaments like like what was the power what was the connection the interpretation the meaning or was it about using the brain to actually heal yourself uh, I think there's probably two things there. One is just learning that it was an injury. It wasn't my fault. Um, and okay. I didn't need to completely define myself uh, as a failure as a result. So it was very much okay. Okay. Um, an emotional aspect. Yeah. The second aspect was um, more the physical side of it. So it's, okay, you, you know, I go very simplistic here. Um, in regards to how you move, you know, your brain wants, uh, information. So it's got uh, a part of the brain called the sensory homunculus, and that receives information from the body, uh, essentially what's happening. And that, if you can imagine a 3D model in your brain, and this is a very basic concept, I don't mean to insult any of your professionals out there in the college, but <laughs> no, no, right. uh, for the layperson, they would just have, essentially have a 3D model in their brain of their body, and that is just all the information they receive from their uh, body. My right knee was essentially completely missing in my brain um it just wasn't there so then uh i would go the executive part of my brain would go okay mate let's do a squat because i want to get nice and strong and that's called the motor and that would then ask the motor homunculus okay give me a squat the motor homunculus then goes to the sensory part of the brain with the missing leg and it goes all right well you don't have a right knee <laughs> and i've got to do a squat therefore i I'm going to drop down more to my left. I'm going to use my lower back to get out of that bottom position, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it just then creates this altered movement pattern. So my thought was, well, if I just got the sensory working better, if I could just give my brain more information, then as it, uh, you know, by default, as a result, I'm going to give that motor uh, a little bit more information about what it can and can't do. Um, so everything I did and everything I still do now is largely just trying to drive sensory information to the brain. Um, and as a result, when that happens, you start to, um, you know, your brain then starts to go, okay, well, I'm missing this section here. And then you can either, as a coach, give that person alternate movement or you can do a host of, uh, of other things um, to help them on their way. But it essentially comes back to giving the brain information. The more information it has, the more it can do with it. Um, and it's, it's almost that simple. Um, you know, again, without sort of insulting the professionals yeah. that you have on board. So, so it's not uh, it's not ignoring uh, the the pain or the injury. You're actually acknowledging it in your brain, and you're also then saying, "Well, hang on. As a result, we can do something different, or we we need to shape this in a different way so that we can do something differently." So, you, is that is that what you're talking about? That link? Pretty much, yeah. And it's kind of going, "Okay, well, why is the pain here, and why are those nerves firing so much into the brain, and why is it receiving this?" pain and it might just be that there's you know tight nerves so it might be that there's uh an impacted um you know part of the joint or it might just be the brain's uh default map for that area so that kind of the next concept i talk about is essentially a, a map and that map is okay i've, ha I've had a new construction or three of them um so when something goes bad for me in that knee it goes back to what was the most profound um you know uh, reaction, which is essentially a map, um, when you last had this sort of pain. And for me, that then becomes multifaceted. So it's not just like, okay, when my knee gets really sore, um, 
it, you know, causes ankle stiffness and it causes lower back pain and it causes yeah. my gait to shorten. Um, and it also causes me to feel mentally unwell and it causes me to get really sluggish and really upset, et cetera, et cetera. So what I'm trying to do is kind of go, okay, well, I'm having all these responses in my brain and in my personality and in my body because something has gone wrong in this meat. So if I can make one change and I can start to diminish the, the, um, the heat of that map, the, the yeah. um, you know, how in depth that map response is, how thick it is, how over the top it is, then I can then start to uh, make a change and I can bring in a different map. Um, you know, does that make sense? So it's a, you know, one thing causes a whole cascade of responses in your yeah. body and your brain kind of just get that map and implement it when one of those things happens. I mean, so until you think about it, that 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 chain of events happens in your mind is it it's not until you break it down you sit there and think well hang on that has caused that and that's caused that and that made me think about this is that is that is that what you learned? exactly right and, and therein lies the key often i find um with um therapy in regards to you know the person that's presenting to me they might say turn up and go mate i'm just really unhappy, unwell today, or I'm really sore. And then we can just trace it back almost in a very simplistic way. Okay, well, this has gone on. And last time you had a massive back spasm or whatever, it went on for months and months and it caused all of these cascade of emotions and physical effects. If we can just make some changing in how that um, part of the body is, is functioning, then we can then hopefully you know derail that cascade of events, slow it down or alter it. And, and that's essentially... Um, what I try to do with myself very often is go, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm sore, I'm injured, something's happened that's caused these events. How do I just try and go back to the very beginning and take away one of those uh, causations and then see if that changes the, the flow on effect? That's, man, that's really interesting. What was the name of that book again, The Power of the... Uh, so that's called The Brain That Changes Itself. And that was kind of the first, um, you know, real sort of uh, mainstream... Uh, well, one of the first mainstream books that really put into um, pop culture this whole idea of yeah. neuroplasticity. Um, you know, there was certainly lots of other ones written before that um, yeah. that were great and that, you know, Doherty draws on. But that was the one that really hit, like, New York Times bestseller, number one for the list. Um, and, and that really did open up, um, you know, the concept to a lot of people that your brain is not fixed. You can... Yeah. You can forever, um, you know, change its wiring um, and therefore change how your brain functions to, to a degree. So so you made this connection. This was before you had the tumour cut out. Was it, this, is, this is in between that time after your third knee reconstruction, traditional rehab, you then, is yeah. that correct? Yeah, so I had my, my third knee recon by about 20. I read this book club by about 24. I had about, uh, within about it, Two years, I was back to doing a bit of running. I was back to training. I was coaching and treating um, a lot of professional athletes and starting to try to really implement um, a lot of these um, ideas and, and I guess the formations of principles into what I did with them and how they trained. And the benefit was that I had these professional athletes coming to me with ongoing, continual injuries and they had the best of the best. They had physios and they had, you know, medications and they had strength and conditioning coaches and they just kept coming back um, because they kept doing the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, and being an acupuncturist and a sewer and a PT, I was the last guy they ever saw. So I didn't see people well. I saw them unwell. Um, yeah. And I was, you know, 
able to, you know, just really try and work out the, you know, the puzzle that, that had them in that position again. Um, and then I was studying history at that time and I, I've always been a history uh, buff. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things that history really taught me was just um, being able to read something, analyse it, look at the perspective of the author um, and try and understand their perspective. Um, and so, you know, reading some of these, you know, these books and seeing what these people were doing and just trying to understand what they were doing and analysing their perspective. And, and I think what I learned was that there was very much a paradigm. So it's like I am, and I don't mean disrespectfully to any field in any way whatsoever, whatsoever. Yeah. I am a physio, so I do... Ice, I do tens machine, I do an activation drill and then I stretch and then I send them home. Or I'm an exercise whatever and I do uh, this squat and this squat and then this one. Um, and I don't mean that in any way, shape or form yeah. disrespectfully to anyone or yeah. whatever they do. But I'm just sort of saying that often there is very much a box-like thinking. It's like, this is what I do. Mm. Um and so the concept that I had with myself was I didn't want to have a paradigm. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to have one set way of thinking. And that's essentially what I tried to create with Prime Authentics. It's like, I don't care what sport you want to do. I don't care yeah. in any way, shape or form what uh, your experience or, uh, or background is. All yeah. I'm just trying to do is influence a little bit of tra uh, change by changing some of that sensory information. And you can, as a result, do a lot of these same, you know, very base, um, you know, very uh, basic um, drills and exercises. And I can implement that with, you know, an Olympic swimmer that I'm currently coaching, or I've got a weightlifter that I coach as well. And then I've got some mums and dads on the side, and then I've got mm. some teenagers. And they all just need that very basic stuff. Um, and then they can then go and specialise in whatever they want to do. Um, but you're just going to get the basic stuff. And so, and then when you had the the, the tumor uh, cut out of the sinus, I mean, for six months you couldn't train, couldn't read, couldn't watch TV. This is someone that's been, I mean, you're very active, uh, and obviously retrained your brain and your body, um, and you're back to your peak peak state. Uh, it, that's fair income. Like you couldn't watch TV or anything. No, and and, and just because I just couldn't get how you know my eyes. I couldn't uh, get my vestibular system to really, you know, uh, just function. Yeah. Um, and it was a very debilitating um, period. And I'd almost think that being in a cast again for my knee would have been less painful. Is that right? Um, and less, um, you know, traumatic on my lifestyle. Uh, but, it, yeah, it was, it was a really difficult period. Um, I had to get, you know, a lot of help. But I was really fortunate that I was able to work with a guy who, is a, a great an expert in uh, not just in optometry but in you know that functional vision um, you know system and he was at that at that stage the head of um, vision training for the Australian cricket team and he really just uh, personally uh, mentored me and took me on board and and just really went out of his way to to help me I mean I couldn't drive for his practice so he would come over to my house and give me you know drills to do in my living room. Um, and then I had a great physio who would, you know, help me with some of the, the physical symptoms. And then I had, uh, another lady who specialized in neuromuscular dentistry. So she would try and decompress my jaw and that sort of stuff to really help, um, you know, with the, the tension having in the yeah. head and the neck and, and so forth. So it was a multifaceted approach. Yeah. Um, 
and it, it certainly wasn't an easy period. Um, it was just one of those things where, you know, you would hope for, uh, at best, one step uh, forward um, and maybe one step sideways the next day and not too many steps backwards. And it was just very much a day-by-day, very slow, uh, very difficult process to rehab from. Um, but, you know, I was, I was very fortunate that it wasn't something serious um, like a lot yeah. of other people have to face. Yeah, no, man, that's, uh, I mean, scary in itself, but I mean, it's great that you were able to, you know, get yourself back uh, and do the things that you needed to do, uh, which was somewhat, um, you know, off the beaten track. I mean, what you were doing uh, was seen to be, you know, in the unknown and and it was off uh, the main track of what people would typically do in that instance. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely it was. And I mean, it was just after that stage that I got back into a lot of my therapy work and I was getting you know, just referrals essentially from people who had been unwell professional athletes and had sent their, you know, send in their buddy uh, and had a couple of athletes before um, the Glasgow Court Games and before uh, London, I think, which was just after that, um, that were injured and were, you know, almost ruled out because of these long-standing injuries that they just couldn't quite get rid of. And I managed to make some changes and, and hopefully contribute and they, they went on to great success. Um, and after that, I, I turned around to the, the coaches that were sending me these guys and said, look, can you just send them to me healthy and give me about 12 weeks and let me see if we can make some changes uh, whilst they're healthy. And I think that for me was a, a really scary thing to do. In hindsight, I can't believe I managed after that and, and also was then that, um, you know, received some of those athletes. And in that 12 weeks when they didn't have these chronic injuries and didn't have deadlines, we were able to make extraordinary changes in their athletic abilities um, and these are you know Olympic level athletes and to, to make anything above you know 0.1% change is quite big and we were able to do that very um, very quickly um, because we went back to just the basics and yeah. how I sort of pitch uh, fitness to people is essentially a pyramid and everybody wants to specialize which is you know reach the peak of that pyramid um, very quickly, and as a result, they then all they do is that specialization. But that peak of the pyramid can only be as high as the base is broad and solid. Um, and as a result, I also then say it's like Tetris when they get injured, they fuck all those blocks in the pyramid, the missing blocks line up, and when they line up, they fall through that, and that's an injury um, because they didn't know how to control their body or respond uh, to a particular athletic endeavor, and they are just missing elements in their fitness. So what I'm trying to do is make those blocks as solid as possible, work on the mortar between those blocks and get the base as broad as possible. Um, and that just comes back to just, you know, getting the brain and the body working and communicating effectively and making it uh, the base as broad and in-depth as possible. So the peak of that period uh, could mean anything. So it could be a, a, if you're a, a basketballer or you're a track athlete or a boxer uh, or if you are even just want to be able to run a marathon or, or just be able to be uh, health and, and fit for the rest of your life. Um, it's whatever that means to you, is that right? And just making sure those foundations it, are Exactly important. right. Yep. Everybody has their own fitness pyramid. So, I mean, I've got a couple of guys at the moment that are trying to be Olympics, uh, swimmers and boxers. Um, I just want to be able to walk and go for a light job with my dog uh, once a week, uh, pain-free. That's the peak of my fitness pyramid. And, and hopefully, you know, have somewhat of a <laughs> an okay uh, aesthetic uh, look uh, when I go to the beach with my wife and kids. Yeah. Um, a week, uh, you know, I've got other weekend worries that, um, you know, just want to do their exercise each week. Mm. Uh, it doesn't matter 
what it is for the person. Um, you know, you just want to make the foundations incredibly solid. Um, and as a result, if, you know, the more solid they are, um, the more diverse they are, and I think that's key there, um, then you can then implement that into any endeavor you want because if your specialization built upon a solid foundation uh, will be a lot more stable and you can reach greater heights through that. It makes sense. Uh, and, and mate, I guess like there's been plenty of studies done linking the importance of exercise and moving your body and good mental health. Tell me about what, uh, you know, reframing it, I guess, in, in your version because Typically, um, the idea of exercise uh, for many of us is different for every, from everyone. But I guess the mainstream ones of having to go to the gym and lift plenty of weights or sit on a cardio machine, uh, you know, for 40 uh, minutes to an hour a day. I mean, that's the traditional way of exercising. Tell me about what it means to you. Yeah, and I think that's probably the most profound failing of the fitness industry. Um, and I, I don't say that lightly. Um, is this idea that you go to gym and you flog yourself. You should never leave a session feeling so tired, um, you know, that you can't get on with your day. You should leave a training session feeling like, wow, Energized. I'm ready to go jump in my day and tackle it with gusto. Um, I don't like this idea of turning up and going, we're going to do a thousand hit calorie, a uh, thousand calorie hit session today. You know, I've driven yeah. past that many signs and say, we're going to burn a thousand calories in an hour. And I just sort of think to myself, there couldn't be anything worse for almost the majority of the population than burning a thousand calories in an hour because that is a profound stress on their body. Yeah. They're already highly strung from and highly stressed from poor sleep, from checking their phones, from, yeah. um, you know, Jeez. environmental and nutritional toxins, uh, from just the general stress of working life, et cetera, particularly in the current yeah. environment. So we then place a massive stress like that on them. That's profoundly bad, their body's then going to go into almost like a, a bit of a shock and go, oh, well, I just burn a thousand calories. <laughs> I better then consume 2,000 calories in case that happens again. Additionally, you know, what you expend in the gym, um, you're, it's not really going to, on a day-by-day basis, really um, affect um, your, your weight to a degree, and I say that carefully. Um, you know, you don't, if you really destroy yourself in the gym, then you're really going to cause a lot of stress and your body will react accordingly and look um, to appease that stress. So in this instance, you know, calorie consumption, you will seek to consume further. I think what we really need to do and, and um, as a fitness industry and what I really try to uh, try to do um, in, what I, in what I do is um, when you turn up to do a session, that should empower you for your day. You should leave feeling like you're ready to pack your day. Your gym session, your training session should almost be the warm-up for your day if you do it in the morning, mm. or it should be, um, you know, your cool-down, your almost like a rehabilitation at the end of the day. We're looking to have you feel good and to have somebody moving well so they're in less pain. And if we do that, it means that the rest of their day, they're going to be feeling better. They're not going to be completely hammered and tired and they're going to be able to do more because what um, is probably the most important thing in regards to overall health, in regards to weight loss, if that's the goal, is um, the amount of activity over the course of the day. Um, so your non-exercise activity um, 
is essentially what determines, I think, for a lot of people how healthy they are and also their, their weight loss. Um, because yeah. we want people to be as active as possible. You know, the new idea that, that smoking, that sitting is the new smoking, um, is just reflective of how bad sedentary lifestyle is. You're going to be more sedentary if you destroy yourself at gym and go hard than if you do a gym, feel really good afterwards, uh, or gym training, walking, whatever it is you want to do, so that you can then be more active during the day. It's it's just that uh, that unconscious that that's sort of crept into everyone's minds where you're like, well, I mean, I sit down all day, and you think, well. In the morning, if I don't move for an hour and go out and flog myself, I feel like I, I feel guilty for sitting down all day. But that, what you're saying there is that it's 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 not about flogging yourself in the morning as far as really um, stressing your body to the max. Uh, it's more about getting it prepped, getting it ready, energized, so that you can then go throughout your day and encourage people to be moving more throughout the day. Is that correct? Exactly right. And trying to break up how long you're sitting down. So, yeah. you know, once an hour is possible, um, getting up and just doing um, a little bit of exercise. Um, yeah. that, I think that's absolutely key. Um, and also, you know, touching what you said there, we don't, I don't want to exercise to be seen as punishment. Hey, I had yeah. a brownie that's 350 calories. I better go burn 351 calories. Yeah. Um, uh, and I don't want people to go, well, you know what, I'm really disgusting, so I've sat on this today, I better go run for two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we need to do is look at exercise as just a part of your life. You know, hopefully people shower every day, hopefully people brush their teeth every day, and hopefully people um, do some form of exercise every day. And if you do that um, and you're never really crushing yourself, you don't need then rest days. Um, because you only need rest days if you're really tired and burned out from training. Um, exercise is just a part of life. It's, it's a non-negotiable uh, part of your day. It's hard to fit it in, I know, um, but, you know, anything from five minutes to ten minutes or just being more active during your day um, mm-hmm. is the key there. So don't see it as punishment. Uh, don't destroy yourself exercising. Try to do um, more uh, throughout the day. Your, your body and your brain love stimulation. They don't like annihilation. Um, so see if you can make those changes. And uh, I know you have some thoughts on stretching as well, right? I mean, traditionally we all thought that you know you need to stretch and be more flexible, and and I think you have a different take on this. Yeah, look, my uh, understanding is that if, if I'm tight, um, and then I'm also probably going to be weak. Now, if I sit there um, and or if I you know then go to a big long stretch session and I stretch myself out. Um, I haven't strengthened those joints and I haven't strengthened that increased range. So essentially stretching is the increased length of like a lever, the in- increased length of that muscle. If I increase that range of motion, but I don't control or have strength in that new range of motion, then my brain goes, hey, hang on a second. I've got this increased range of motion, but I can't control it. Um, Therefore, I kind of need to reduce that range and settle tighten up. So the classic mm-hmm. story is, you know, somebody will do um, yoga on a Monday because uh, they've got a sore back. And then it'll get to Thursday and they're like, geez, my back's sore again. I better go back and do that yoga because that fixed it last time. And they then just go back into that vicious cycle of stretching and not strengthening. If I think there lies the importance of mobility. So I see mobility... Mm has your ability to move through a full and active range of motion 
um, with conscious and unconscious tro- uh, control um, with a load. Now, that load might be a weight, it might be just your body, uh, or it might be tension. So what I'm trying to do with people is go, look, I probably don't think you actually need to stretch. I think what you need to do is get mobile. You need to be able to move well as opposed to just increase Mm -hmm. that length of that lever because you're increasing that length and you don't then control that extra length. Therefore, um, you're potentially, you know, increasing um, the weakness of that joint uh, where it can go without control and you're going to get injured. So what I think you need to do instead of just getting to the end of your stretch and holding that passively, thinking, you know, if you can think of like a hamstring stretch and you stretch it out, that's all fine. But what if you got to the end of your range and instead of just hanging there passively, you then tense and you then control your joint at the end of your range. Because what you're doing is you're putting yourself at the end of your range Mm -hmm. and you're then going to your brain, hey, you know what? I can actually control here, look how much I can flex and you can create tension in your joints and as a result you're creating strength in a new range because you're recruiting muscle tissue, you, you're really um, creating tension around that joint at the end of its range so your brain goes, you know what, you can you can flex and you can control there, therefore that's your new range and it's going to let you have that increased range uh, on a more permanent basis. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So you're getting to the end of that range and you're using some sort of resistance, could be the floor, could be a band, could be a weight, and you're actually tensing and trying to control it at that point. Yeah, and I often just prefer body. So I just prefer somebody to be at the end of their range and then they learn how to, uh, if they're doing, say, standing hamstring stretch, uh, you know, folding down, bending at the waist. I prefer them to try and work out how they can flex their hamstrings in that position because if they can do it with just um, their um, body weight then they're going to that's going to be more transferable when they then incorporate a weight based exercise mm. um, or, or an external load you need to learn how to control your own loading first your own body to a full and active range of motion uh, before you then increase that, that external uh, loading and Chris I think uh, from I mean certainly from doing uh, a lot of the primal th- Static stuff that you've got. Um, <clears throat> not, I've been starting lately, but I mean, it, it's all about body movement and body weight. It's not uh, you're not you don't need you don't need weights. You don't need any of this other you know equipment, kettlebells or anything. It's about it's about you putting your body in positions and using um, using your body weight to actually build the strength and that mobility uh, in those positions. Is that correct? Exactly right. Um, you know, so there's a, in the app, for example, there's a couple hundred sessions um, that you can follow along to. Um, and going back to what we originally talked uh, to start about that sensory driving motor, you know, we're trying to put you in different positions, so hands on the ground and, and you know, not upside down, but, you know, different different positions to simulate you in your ear to get uh, all the receptors in your hands and, and legs, um, you know, to send that information to the brain. So we're getting all that sensory, sensory information. We're there doing really complex movements um, like crawling. Um, and as a result, that then drives this positive, um, you know, feedback loop of sensory and motor because we know these different positions. Um, you can then, uh, you know, you're essentially training everything from your fingers down to your toes. Um, we do a lot of eye drills. We do a lot of, um, you know, joint mapping drills, etc., cetera, um, mm-hmm. to look at that whole body and, and brain approach. And, I mean, there are 
kettlebell sessions in there because people do like to do kettlebells. But in the website, I do include weight sessions because I know people are wanting to do weights and I've got nothing against that. That's great. Um, but again, it comes back to just building that base. Let's get you moving in lots of diverse ways. Let's get you moving um, in really, you know, funny ways on the ground doing iguanas or, or frogs or whatever it may be so that when you come back to them doing something very linear like, squatting or pushing a weight above your head or in front of your chest or something like that, that's actually quite an easy concept uh, for you to then do because you've moved in so many other ways. Um, and it's just fun and it requires no equipment. And I mean, I do it on the living room rug um, each morning when I get up. And um, I just want to make it easy for people to exercise and engage in and fun. Uh, and I think, you know, that's, the best I've been able to do is make that happen. Yeah, and so, so, uh, and I do it in the garage, and it's really good. And it's actually amazing how uh, how tough and how much you can actually get a good workout out with with just your body. I mean, it's uh, it's some really simple things that you wouldn't think. But when mate, I mean, some of those sessions are really tough, but it's feels really good after it. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and there are stuff if you want to make them. So, I mean, originally I just had this, you know, the one level out and, and my thought was, well, if everybody does it, then you just, and I give scaling options to make it easier um, or to make it harder and you might take less rest or more rest than what's described in the session. But people were like, look, I just want to begin a session. Um, so I've, you know, created those and I've given beginner level sessions. Um, but I still find that each during an advanced athlete during the beginner level sessions, can be exceptionally hard mm. um, and it's as hard as you want to make it and I think the, the really great thing about it is um, you're just learning to control your own body so if you can't do the movement you just have a, a decreased range of motion whereas if you're trying to you know pick up a bar or something like that and you can't do it properly then you're going to do it incorrectly and if mm. you lift up that bar or dumbbell incorrectly and that's going to, you know, really lead to an injury potential, um, or the, you know, the potential risk of injury. Um, so if you can't do one of the body weight exercises and you simply just regress the movement, you have less range of motion, you do less reps, uh, less time, etc. Um, and it's as hard as you want to make it. So it never gets easy because the better you get, excuse me, the harder you can go and the more you can do. And, and that's one of the, uh, the great things about it. And you can easily re- rewind it as well if you're really good uh, or if you're really keen, you can re- rewind it and and, uh, and just play it back and do it again. Um, so you've got that option. Yeah, exactly. Well. <clears throat> but Yeah, I, I mean, I've coached a few guys in America um, and I just had one of them finish, uh, you know, the first three advanced levels. He had a couple of weeks off. And um, he was just having you know, an easy week, uh, so he thought he would do the beginner series, and he did the beginner series, and he was like, oh, that was actually still really tough, um, because he was really able to focus on the almost perfect reps and building lots of tension um, in the movements. Now, he's a, a 40-year-old guy, he's an actor, um, and he actually plays a couple of superheroes, so he's a yeah. big, uh, very muscular physically capable guy. I've got my mother-in-law um, who is 
uh, in her like, 60s, I'll say delicately, and she has a PhD in physiotherapy, and she does the beginning series as well. Yeah. Um, she just redresses some of the movements. If she can't do a couple because she doesn't want to get down on the ground, she will, you know, just do the other option of standing up. So it yeah. can, because it's movement-based, really, you know, be applicable to almost anyone, and you can make it as hard as you want. <laughs> And so what you're saying, um, linking it back to the pyramid style things, like it, you, we're not saying to do, I mean, you can do it on its own, in and in of its own benefit, but you can use those foundation as the foundation to then, if you want to go lift weights, you want to then go do, uh, be an athlete, or you just want to be able to do gardening on the weekend, having this base uh, of being able to control movement of your body uh, is a really good benefit to have. Exactly right. Um, you know, so I've got uh, two guys that are back in training for uh, ultra marathons, so 100-kilometre runs. Um, I have the Brisbane running squad, uh, so weekend warriors that love to run, they do it. Yeah. Um, my mother-in-law um, just wanted full prevention and just some um, extra work for her, um, her knees and her hips. Um, and, and that's what she's getting. Oh, I just kind of want to be pain free and, and look half decent. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I'm kind of getting that. And then I've got a, a host of professional athletes and I use this to form the basis of their program. And then they might need something more specific. So like a weights program. Um, so I've got two or three guys that I coach that are in and around the Australian Sevens Rugby Union squad. Um, they will do this as their, you know, base level conditioning um, and just to check how their body's going and give them that base movement skills. Uh, but then they will lift really heavy weights two or three or four days a week, depending on their program. Um, and they're now doing so um, without injuries. Uh, so one of them now is uh, nine months into a program uh, and it's the first time uh, he's 20 Five twenty-six. It's the first time in the last eight years he's gone nine months of training without an injury. Um, so it's just about making them more robust, more resilient, um, and allowing them to do whatever it is they want to do, um, pain-free, um, with greater physical clarity, and, and you know, and then they can do whatever they want. <laughs> and is there a way that you can reverse, like? damage done there's a way that you can just sort of chip away and reverse you know things because everyone seems to have some sort of a niggle or a sh old shoulder injury or a back or uh, i mean there's ways that you can uh, you know moving your body and and the power of control controlling your body in certain areas and certain movement patterns that you can retrain your body to be able to move effectively again uh, and reverse some of these uh, injuries that you might think are a long term yeah, look, I, I will cautiously say yes there. Um, so, you know, the perfect example is myself with, um, you know, I yeah. think it was my second year of construction, we were in hospital together, you had your shoulder done. Um, yes, so right. it was, you know, it was, I can do things now um, without ligaments there that people might go, well, that's kind of from a traditional point of view, maybe not possible. Um, and I think you had it there, you know, can you change uh, how the body functions? Well, you can if you change how the brain, um, or, or you almost, you know, encourage the brain to allow that movement to happen. So for, for that to occur, then you need that the brain and how it perceives and allows movement and motor control, you need it to be on board. Um, so it's not so much about, um, you know, just retraining a heavy squat. It's about retraining the movement skills um, with that weakness 
it can happen. It, it you know, requires hard work and it requires time, um, and it might require you to change uh, what it is exactly uh, you want to be able to do. Um, but I think it is possible um, because therein lies the basis of neuroplasticity. You know, um, the brain can change itself, um, and a muscle or, or the leg. It, it doesn't just move. It, it moves because the brain is telling it to move. So mm. if it's giving the brain poor information, the brain's going to tell it to move in a less efficient or the most efficient way it can allow to happen um, with what it perceives as uh, injury risk. This is the only question the brain is asking or the first question asked is, is it safe? Um, so if it thinks it's not safe, it's going to reduce that. So what we're trying to do is go, hey, you know what? It is actually safe um, if we strengthen here and if we do this. And the brain is going to start to allow you an increased range of motion, an increased control, um, and increased development of that, you know, injured site again. Um, with, you know, there's always going to be limitations. I, I you know, can guarantee that. Um, but I think that is possible. And I think it comes back to a, an important point to note that is the maps. You will, I will always have in my knee a map of uh, a bad map. So I'm always at risk of an injury. And when something goes, that bad map for my early 20s will pop up and I'll get a whole cascade of events. Mm. Over time, what I'm trying to do is place as many good maps on top of that bad one because, you know, that bad experience is really strong in the brain. Yeah. So it might be an inch-thick random uh, analogy, but I mean, it might be an inch-thick the bad map. I'm trying to put one million uh, good maps on that every time, you know, over the years that I've trained, but they might be 0.1 millimeter thick for a good map. So I'm just trying to over time build that up and make it, um, you know, as in-depth as possible um, in regards to, you know, good um, sets on it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's incredible what you've been able to do, you know, in your own experience and, and definitely... Uh, gives a lot of us hope uh, as well. Not not that we've got worse or better, but I mean, just you know, for everyone's who's got their own little limitations or 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 you know um, injuries or or even just being able to move your body to be healthy, uh, it shows yeah, you can exactly. do it. You can do it just with just your body and and a, and a bit of a, a mat on the floor, and away you go. We've spoken, to, uh, Chris, about. Um, mobility about moving your body and the importance of exercise what other aspects uh to get that holistic approach are really important that you consider as being critical to overall health and well-being uh look two uh hands down nutrition um you know if you're reducing um you know chemicals and neurotransmitters and hormones in your body um they rely upon um precursors uh, and those precursors are uh, derived from what you put into your body. Um, so it's not about being completely perfect, uh, but it's about being honest with what you're putting into your body um, and then kind of going, okay, well, look, I'm 50% here. Uh, I'm putting 50% of good stuff into my body. The other 50% is complete trash. Yeah. And then it's kind of like, okay, mate, I don't need to make a big change. I just want you to go 55%. So what that might mean is, you drop one bad meal a week and you have one and you have a, a better meal at that meal. And then the next week we might try and make that two better meals um, in that week and, and, and so on and so on. And you try to get up to something like I would um, try and suggest, you know, that 80, 20, 75, 25, like yeah. eat 75% well, the other 25% 
let yourself have whatever it is um, and really enjoy it. Uh, and, and then you kind of, you know, you're doing okay. And then that is sustainable. Um, so that is definitely, uh, I think, the most important thing is what you're eating, what you're drinking, uh, what you're putting into the body is, is just 101. And there's no two ways about that. I think the second most uh, important thing for that holistic point of view is personal training, physical exercise. We all know that's good for your body, but what about your brain? Like, are you reading? Um, what are you doing to develop yourself mentally? So, you know, cognitively, learning new ideas, but also mentally as in, you know, your mind, your consciousness. What are you doing mm. to learn and grow and, and, and whatever it is? So for me, I love being people. Uh, so, you know, there's probably from that, I'll not learn maybe too much I can apply to my, you know, coaching or whatever, but I just, I find for me it's an incredibly important thing. Um, and I like um, psychology books and I love history. Um, so, you know, when I do sessions with people, for example, uh, in the app, at the end, I always ask them three questions. And, and the third and I think the most important question is, what is their favourite book? Um, and in that, you always get a, a clue as to their personality and, and, you know, how they do things based on that book. And I, I think um, eating well and reading and learning and, and exploring new ideas that challenge what you're currently uh, understanding is incredibly, incredibly important as uh, alongside your fitness health to really drive an overarching holistic health. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's, uh, it makes sense. And, uh, I mean, you, you, there's, so, there's so much noise out there with, you know, fad diets uh, and, you know, try this, try that, and people sort of hop on and hop off different things at different times. But having a, a more of a, a long-term approach, more balanced, uh, recognize that we're not going to be perfect uh, and build that into your plan uh, from a nutritional point of view, uh, you think is obviously the way to go. Yeah, I think so. I think you know, if you can, a couple of times a year, really nail down and do one, two, three months of just 100% uh, you know, yeah. uh, clean eating, then that's great. If you can sustain that year-round, that's awesome. If you can't sustain that year round, don't worry about it. Just do the absolute best you can. Now, the absolute best you can might be 50%, but you know what? That's better than 30% uh, good, uh, or good food or good nutritional intake. So it's just about doing the best you can um, that you can sustain for a long period of time. And th- th- that will then, um, I think, be a lot better for you than going really great on a super stringent diet for four weeks and letting yourself go. And this is what I always see in the health and fitness industry. Let's come in and do an eight-week transformation challenge or whatever the nonsense is. And they starve themselves and they walk themselves for eight weeks. And at the end of the eight weeks, they look awesome. (laughs) Um, But they've just hyper-stressed themselves for eight weeks. They then can't sustain that. And then six months later, they're sitting there looking fondly back at the, the, the aesthetics, the figure they had six months ago. And they just can't really get back there. Um, but if you, you can just do something sustainable, then you're going to, uh, the longer you do something um, well and consistently, um, then you will continue to improve over time. Um, and I think, you know, instead of getting a short-term eight-week goal, let's go, okay, um, I'm 30, I want to hit 40, and I want to feel good. And that was the goal mm-hmm. I set myself at 30. Um, I, when I turn 40, I want to hit 50 and be, you know, fitter again. Um, and I think that that's, 
Mate, that's. Uh, I mean, it's. Uh, it's really. It seems really simple, but I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, it's. It's really powerful stuff. And is there, are there any other aspects of um, any meditation stuff that you do? Is there anything else that you're doing? Uh, the importance of sleep. Is there anything else that that you uh, also believe that also might help with that holistic health approach? Yeah, I mean, definitely, um, you know, sleep is the cornerstone of health, uh, and that has been my nemesis over the last few years, is, is mm-hmm. sleeping. Um, and, and, you know, that's something that I'm working on. Uh, it's been my primary health goal last year and this year, just working out how to sleep. Um, and I think tying into that, the point made is the meditation. Um, I have, you know, meditation is an extraordinary thing. Um, for someone like me, I find it extremely difficult to sit there and do it. And I've done long periods of meditation blocks with, you know, at the, you know, the Buddhist temple and listening to apps and that kind of stuff. And I just really struggle with it, to be yeah. honest. Uh, but meditation isn't, uh, is, you know, mindfulness to a degree. And mindfulness doesn't just mean sitting there, um, you know, completely still a thought or completely, uh, still. For me, uh, my best form of meditation um, is, or mindfulness um, is when I'm exercising and I'm in the zone and I chill out and I just do my morning routine and I kind of don't even realize I do it. Or it's reading a fantasy book and I finish an hour reading and I go, wow, I just read for an hour without thinking I need to check my phone, without thinking I needed to do this, mm. check this and, and go do that. Um, so I think that meditation, I think I would like to kind of expand that idea and mm-hmm. kind of go, what what can you do that you can get absorbed in, that you can just sort of let your mind just chill out for a little bit. That might right. be colouring in, it might be reading a book, it might be going for a walk through nature, mm-hmm. or it might be sitting in a lotus position chanting, whatever floats your boat, yeah. uh, just as long as you're doing something to try and fill your mind and forget all the distractions um, and just the way self to be. Um, and I think that is uh, a big secret to, to good sleep, uh, something I'm working on. Um, and uh, I think certainly, you know, sleep, uh, meditation, mindfulness are two incredibly important concepts that need to really be addressed in most people's, you know, lifestyle plan. Chris, I, I know you asked, uh, you know, uh, the people that come on your uh, each of your episodes some really cool questions, and and I might steal some of them. But what, what, who's who's been a source of inspiration for you throughout your journey? Um, it can be a person or, be, or a book. Um, yeah, there probably isn't one um, one sort of source that could really um, do it. I've had some extraordinary people and working professionals, you know, physio, my, my GP, um, you know, my optometrist, they've just been extraordinary what they've done for me. Um, you know, books like Norman Doherty has, you know, certainly been one of them. Um, his books have been changing itself. They've all opened up doors. Mm. Um, so I don't know if there's been one specific thing that I could say, hey, everybody go do this. So I'd probably say start with that book. Um, I'd probably say the, you know, one of the most important things, um, that's really kept me going has been my wife. Um, her patience in just letting me do what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, dealing with me, the, the angst, the anxiety, the, the hyper mess of my personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think her, her patience and generosity has certainly been something, uh, that's, you know, inspiring to me. And I think, you know, for others. <laughs> 
Mate, that's, uh, I mean, it's, it's really good to hear that um, from your perspective as well uh, and get an idea about what you're up to. What, what, uh, what is success? Was it, what's, your, what's your other question? What's your question around success? What does success mean for you? How do you define success? Or, or what does it mean? Yeah, for you? I mean, that's certainly one of the only questions I ask um, is, you know, how do you define success? Um, and, and one of the reasons I asked that was I've never really been able to define that for myself. Uh, since I was 16, I had that new construction and I kind of just lost what I thought was success at that stage, the ability to achieve, you know, sporting success. Uh, over the years, you know, I probably come to realize that for me, success is just being able to be still. It's being able to be content. It's being able to kind of go, you know what, I've got a business. I really love it. It means everything to me. I just love it. I put every, oh, my whole heart and soul into it. Mm. But, you know, it's not the most financially viable business. Um, but, you know what, I'm really doing what I love and it's not really costing me anything. So, I'm kind of uh, I'm, you know, I'm happy with that. So finding contentment um, in a journey or finding contentment um, and peace um, during stress, during bad times, um, I think to me that's probably the definition of success. But that might be my definition and I would encourage people to sit down and to kind of have a pretty difficult conversation with themselves with their loved ones, with their partner, whoever it may be, and go, you know what, like, what are we doing all this for? Mm -hmm. Because you might be doing it to make $10 million, and you might mm -hmm. only need to make 100000 or $50,000. So if you mm -hmm. change what you see as success, you're going to change how you live your life. Um, so um, to me, success is about finding contentment and peace. Uh, getting the brain to stop. <laughs> it's such an Im important distinction because even you know, because I uh, speak to a lot of business owners in in uh, you know in some of the other stuff that I do. But I mean, business owners rarely do they actually have an outcome or of why they actually got into business in the first place. Uh, and it's really interesting because typically you fall into it. It's a passion, or it's a, it's it's like well, you know, what is the outcome that you're trying to get from doing this? And uh, we don't stop and think about that enough. Um, and so there's a lot yeah, of value. Yeah, exactly. In that. So, yeah, I mean, I fell into what I do because I just wanted to fix myself, and then I quickly realised um, that I I could help people, and I didn't want people to feel like I did. Yeah. Uh, that simple. And then uh, I have. Uh, about three golden numbers. My first golden number means I pay the school fees, I pay yep. um, our groceries, um, and I can put um, a couple thousand dollars aside each year for a family holiday, and I yeah. can buy a book a week. And there, that's my primary golden number. And I haven't hit that yet, um, but as soon as I can do it, then you know that's hey, you know what? That is averaging ultimate success. And then yeah. you know just try and continue to do the same, build the next one. That's awesome, uh, and it's obviously you've given a lot of thought, and, and you're certainly on the path, which is really, really good. Uh, tell me, what's the future hold? Where do you see? Um, let's start with the future problems that you think will be around that people will have to contend with. Uh, is it screen time, uh, sitting down time? What What do you think with the lifestyles that we're leading? Uh, where do you think the problems in the future will lie? 
Uh, well, I think we're currently facing something that's not going to go away with this whole, um, you know, COVID-19 yeah. thing. What I saw happening that was this profound shift in society. And it was, it's been devastating. It, it crushed my business. So, you know, it's crushed, you know, yeah. so much. But there's a glimmer in there, I think, of what potentially we could do. And, you know, people stopped going to gym. They stopped going and doing their three sets of eight bicep curls and being in the office all day, then going and sitting down. And they went to the park and they kicked the soccer ball with their mm. kid or they threw frisbee with their wife or they mm. just went out and went bloody walking. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was just, you know, people out and moving. I've never seen so many people at the park before in my life as what it has been lately. Um, so I think there's a, there's the potential there to change, um, what we see is healthy. Healthy is not just going to the gym and lift away. Healthy is like being out, being in nature, walking around, playing yeah. outside, and just being active. And I mean, I think that's something that really needs to change. And I think the other thing is people who are working from home, although those fortunate enough to keep their jobs, um, but you know, there wasn't this mad rush. You know, you could just feel everything slow down. You know, you could. People would yeah, do their work. They might have to work a little bit later at night because during the middle of the day they might have had to do an hour to work for their kids, or they might have had to, or they might have taken their kids to the park or, or done those sorts of things. So mm. I caught there a glimmer of what I'd love to see, and that is a better work-life balance. I mean, ideally, I mean, I homeschooled my three kids. The first two weeks, I just wanted to crawl under a rock and die. But by the end of it, it was pretty good because we'd do three, four hours of work and then we'd go for a bushwalk or a bike ride or rollerblading. And I mean, yeah. I'd love to see a better work-life, school-life balance, you know. <laughs> ideally, something like a four-day school week and a three-day weekend. And I'd love to see people working a bit less, um, because they've identified they don't need to, you know, work all those hours and achieve all that, uh, you know, financial gain because they probably need less at home and they could have a happier life by um, being more active and being healthier from being outside. So I know it's a very um, confused answer, but I think the window in there is achieving a better work-life balance and achieving yeah. better health by being more active. Um, so that's kind of something that I would, there's a problem in there is how do we then change, learn something from this currently and implement yeah. that in the future. I definitely think it's, uh, you know, this this period we've been through uh, and going through has certainly made you appreciate the finer things in life and really simplify our lives. Um, yeah. And so there's definitely been some positives um, out of, you know, really, really making life simple um, and restricting our movement. Uh, but like you said, it made people want to get out and explore the, the neighbouring suburb or their home suburb, which they probably haven't done for some time. Uh, so, made some yeah, if we can continue on some of these paths, I think you're right. I think we're in, we're heading in a great direction. What what Definitely. about you? What about you, Chris? What what's, what does the future hold for you? Ah, uh, so look, I'm just trying to hit that uh, primary golden number. Yeah. Um, if I could take a breath and just kind of you know um, have achieved that. Um, stepping stone, stepping stone, or that that uh, milestone of, of you know financial stability. Um, for me, it's just about learning. 
uh, yeah. about continually refining. I mean, I looked at what I was doing eight years ago um, and I kind of shudder and I think, my God, and I sort of hope that in eight years' time I look back at what I'm doing now and I kind of go, you're an idiot. <laughs> uh, but uh, only because I've, I've learned a number of times um, yeah. further and I've developed um, further. More I, coaching? Are you... Yeah, more coaching. I mean, I've got uh, the app, which I'll continue to build and hopefully build the database of people using that and helping them. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, a gym that I've just opened up again uh, in Brisbane where I'll be running group classes and fitness and doing a little bit of uh, PT um, and coaching. I've got um, some gyms that I'm currently working with and there's three there. One's about 15, one's about seven, uh, 16 and the other one's just turned 18. Um, and they're pretty good shots. Uh, for the Olympics next year, um, and I kind of want to, you know, get into, um, you know, coaching and looking after them and seeing what we can do with them. And I think the final piece of the puzzle is um, I want to make a massive change in the health and wellness of um, teenagers or school kids. Yeah. Um, so I'm starting to slowly uh, build a program. Um, that is essentially that I'd love to roll out to every kid in Australia so I can have them exercising, um, you know, three times a week at home, learning the basics, building their fitness pyramid upon a solid base. Um, and I think that's where I'm sort of after getting out, working, getting my gym up and running, coaching yeah. a few kids, and uh, then working out how I can deliver a change to, you know, every kid in Australia, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. No, well, mate, it sounds like you're going to have plenty on your plate and, and going in a direction that's that's uh, it's going to be it's going to be uh, challenging, but no doubt you're going to be able to crush it and uh, and certainly following your passion, which is really really good. How can people get in touch with you, or how can they um, yeah how can they is there email or is there also what what's the name of the app that they can download uh, and have a crack at? Sure, um, uh, so the primalphenix.com, so primal and then phenix, so p h e n i c s. So primalphenix.com is where they can go to my website and read up a little bit more, and they can sign up on the website and download the app via the website as opposed to just going straight to uh, the app store. Uh, it's cheaper on the website. So, so please do that. Um, there's also some contact me buttons there, but essentially yeah. uh, coach at primalphenix.com is uh, my email address. Um, and I'm sort of on my socials, uh, it's the health and fitness guy uh, for Instagram uh, and Facebook. Um, and I have on there some booking links so people can book in for um, either, you know, free, um, you know, quick consults to ask you a couple of questions um, and sort of extended coaching calls as well. So, um, you know, social media is, is the easiest way to quickly get me and then primalfenix.com is the other way to, you know, find out a, a bit more about the training, a bit more about the app and, and some of the other services that I provide. Yep, and the app you can have a, have a go at that uh, for like, seven days or something free of charge is that right is that how yeah so if you if you download the app straight from the apple store um palm authentic uh off the apple store you get free seven days if you go to the website you actually get two weeks free trial um and uh before it sort of then rolls into a, a membership so you can cancel any time in that two weeks but yeah two weeks free trial on the website one week free trial on apple um and uh you know it's different so People often do the first session and they all kind of go, well, this is just stupid because I couldn't do it or it's too weird. Why am I doing an eye drill or something like that? But, no. um, 
if you just stick with it and see it as a process and if you see it as a long-term goal, then it, it can certainly, you know, really be the tool that uh, people can use to, to make that positive change. Well, mate, as someone who, uh, who'd been going to the gym uh, a lot uh, in my previous uh, history of, of exercise and, and with COVID and stuff coming along, I've, I've given this a good crack. I can uh, definitely endorse the fact that it's been uh, an amazing program and, and not easy um, if you don't want it to be. So it's challenging, but uh, like you said, there's plenty of scaled options. Um, so I encourage everyone just to have a go at it and see what you think. Uh, and Chris, mate, this is obviously... I knew you personally anyway, but I mean, the fact that we've been able to catch up has been really good. The The stuff that you're doing and your own journey has been really inspiring, but the work you're doing now is being able to help others is something that, um, you know, something that I definitely think is uh, is amazing and I'm sure plenty of other people do as well. So, mate, thanks for being able to have uh, the conversation with me and coming on the show. Thank you, Sam, so much for your time and thank you so much to everybody who have giving up a you know, very valuable time to let me ramble on. And I hope I didn't ramble on too much. <laughs> and I really appreciate your time, uh, Sam, and everybody who's listening. So thank you so much. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.